Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. We've got a, a men's basketball team we'll get to in a bit, Jack, that's going to contend for a national title. They're making some some waves nationally. Did you Very see exciting. John Rothstein's tweet? No. He said, um, final four, Baylor, Gonzaga, blank and blank. Oh, yeah, yeah. So essentially, he said JMU is in the final four. So I didn't say it. Um, I just tweeted it. You did say it. You did tweet it. You put it out there. I did. With, with UVA as well. So I don't necessarily see that being the final four, but it certainly got a chance to be. I think Gonzaga is going to have to rally in the tournament to actually get there. I think JMU is certainly at this point a lock. You can pretty much sharpie them in. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Travis Ford talked about this, the St. Louis head coach. He talked about it on Inside College Basketball on CBS Sports Network. Um, plug, plug, plug. Very but he talked about how um, the – the postseason conference tournaments, like we don't really know if they're going to happen. These automatic bids might be the regular season champions. And JMU men's basketball has set themselves up to be in the running as of the first four games to get that automatic bid if it's just the regular season. That's all I'm saying. I don't think mid-majors like JMU that play the conference tournament early enough will avoid conference tournament games. So I think like a power five teams might opt out, but I, th- I think JMU is going to end up end up playing but I mean we, there's certainly a possibility some of these mid-majors do opt out but I, I still think they'll they'll try to give it a go that's just my guess yeah I mean it'll be interesting to see JMU though last time they were three and one to start conference play um, they didn't have the strongest finish um, but they they did start three and one in conference play back in 2016-17 so I didn't Rowe realize did, that Road did do it I did not realize that. I remember they had a strong start one year. I didn't realize it was actually three and one in his first, uh, his first year as the coach. And then they were what seven and eleven. Yeah, it was technically a three and zero start. Yeah. So what they go over the last four and eleven to finish? That sounds and that, I think that was the season that gave us hope for the Row era. Right. That was his first and season, twenty sixteen seventeen. Right. It uh, was. It was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they obviously didn't. Didn't finish strong, but we'll get to that. We've got women's basketball as well, and you spoke to Kamaya Smalls, and we'll get to that sort of in the middle of the podcast, but I know you had a a heck of a conversation with her. Yeah, we we kind of buried the lead on that one. This this whole kind of podcast is centered around Kamaya and talking with her about 
her journey over there in Italy, um, her journey in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever. And it was just a great conversation overall. So that's going to be coming up in just a couple of minutes. Um, so be sure to tune in for that. But we're going to start today's podcast off talking about women's basketball. The perfect pandemic team is what Bennett calls them. And they showcased kind of yet again why he says that over the weekend. Or not weekend, what day is it? It's Thursday over the weird Northeastern. Monday, Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> Got a little minor postponement. Someone at Northeastern had an illness unrelated to COVID, but they were super cautious about it, so waited and then came to Hamsonburg on Monday, Tuesday, and the CAA decided to announce that the games were rescheduled. Uh, basically asked the game was being played. Didn't they, didn't they about, release it at like 1.30 and the game was tipping at 3? Yeah, it was, like a, it was like a 12.30 release or something, a 3 o'clock game, like whatever. But I feel bad for TJ Eck and um, Shane and everyone, like see, all the they were, reporters. Shane at least was in the loop, so like he knew it was happening for a couple days. I think DJ too, but like to not announce it to anyone else was kind of hilarious. So it's kind of nonsense there. But thing in the world. It's incredibly CAA to just not inform people your teams are playing. I mean, good God. Oh, I guess it doesn't matter, but they split with Northeastern, won the first game by 18, lost the second one by eight, which is similar to what they did uh, against Elon in terms of winning the first and then losing the second. So they've also got the one win over Taos in their three and two in conference play with a couple of splits. Uh, I mean, I don't really see them winning the conference. Like, I think they're really young and they've still got a long way to go. Yeah, I think we were, we were texting about this. I see this team, they're not going to win the regular season. I don't think so, just because they kind of, I, I think it's, we're going to see a lot more splits as this season goes on. College of Charleston's up next, and William & Mary very well could be 2-2 two and two after those four games um, in conference play, so moving to 5-4. and four. So I think they're going to hover around that 500 conference mark for the rest of the season. Um, but I believe you – don't, you don't have this faith, but I believe this team – not that they will, but they have the ability to make a tournament run. They don't play great defense because they're so young, and defense is kind of something that you, you more have to learn just through experience and mistakes and time in a system. But offensively, they're, they're gifted. They're led by a fantastic player in Kiki Jefferson, a couple solid um, two and three options. The problem with this team is when you get to the bench. This team is just – not a lot of upperclassmen like strength to it. No offense to them. Like um, just overall, this team is just so dependent on their first starting five and the underclassmen that once you start to get into a little bit of like a bench rotation, I mean, the power Rangers are great and they've shown great flashes, but overall, like you can't rely on like a platoon swap every game to give you meaningful 10 minutes. Like, but that's why I say they're not going to win the regular season. They have a chance at making a run in the tournament, though, in the CAA tournament, because you just have to put together, what, three or four good games. And I think they're capable, and I think offensively they could kind of have a good output for a couple of games, and Kiki could take over. That's a possibility, not like my stamp of it's going to happen. More likely than not, they'll probably like fall in the quarters or semis. Yeah, I don't know. Because we don't have as, as frequent updates with some of the player stuff. I don't think Tinsley's played the last couple games. He's pretty much abandoned Power Rangers. Like, Matty Greenstar started the two games against Northeastern. Like, my issue is, like, they've got some some really good players and good offense. There's just so many stretches consistently, game to game, where they just don't play good defense. And that's my thing is, like, you look at um, a team that's going to have a chance to win a conference tournament to win three games in three days, you're probably one of those games going to be a bad shooting game. And I don't think they're good enough to get over a bad shooting game. So they could definitely string together three good offensive performances, but they need to get so much better defensively 
to really have any chance. Like even rebounding wise, they're not dominant in years past. They would kind of dominate. They just haven't necessarily done that. So I think they're struggling a little bit defensively for a variety of reasons. And some of it, like you said, they're just super young. Um, so I think they're going to take time to get better, which is, you know, understandable, but they're not quite where they need to be right now. But I think they've got a chance to eventually get to a good spot. They're just, you know, not quite there yet. Yeah. I'd love to see the advanced stats on, on this team. Like I would love to some, cause I know like the team has like their own advanced stats, but it's not really made public. Like in the men's game, it is, I would love to see the advanced stats on like the fall off of defense and how much it really is. Like, the eye test tells you like this team is not what we're used to when it comes to a JMU defensive team. Um, but I would yeah. just love to see the advanced stats of like where they're, where, it, where it's happening. Yeah. It's just, it's been a little disappointing. They also still have a major turnover issue. Um, and some of that I think too is being young, but like they'll drive into the lane without really any idea what's going to happen. And they'll just sort of throw the ball away or commit a charge or something. And I think when you've got so many mistakes, um, kind of on both ends right now, just because they need to grow more. I don't know if, you know, by the time, what, early March basically runs around, I don't know if they're going to be ready because it's only like a month away. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily ready for that, especially assuming, right, you got to also assume that they don't have a pause. I mean, if you have another pause too, that makes it even harder. So it's just challenging with COVID and stuff and, and they're lacking some of that. You mentioned they kind of lack a little bit of depth in terms of, um, there's a drop-off when they go away from the starting five. So fingers crossed they can get there. They're still a good team. Like, they're definitely a top half of the CAA team. I just don't, like, Delaware looks unbelievable. They've got three, I think their top three leading scorers I was looking at are all at least redshirt juniors. And I think some of them were transfers, so I don't know how long they necessarily played together. But it's, like, you look at JMU, you've got Kiki's a sophomore, Hazel's a freshman, Steph Oderkirk's a freshman. Like, they're just really, really, really young i think rain tucker is also a sophomore right so you've got just a lack of you know veteran scorers which i think makes it challenging to to win yeah and, and to your point they average uh 17.7 turnovers a game you're not you're not winning tough defensive battles when you're turning it over nearly 18 times a game um but yeah right. delaware's delaware's on another level i think they're uh I think they're 11 and one undefeated in conference play uh i think jmu is a top third team i think they're the third best team in the caa uh yeah i just said uh, a lot in that little uh piece so let's move on anything else you need to add on women's basketball i think that's pretty much it they are gonna play this weekend against the college of charleston at least they're scheduled to uh, we'll get to the men obviously after the Kamaya interview but the men are not scheduled to play this weekend Yes. So games coming up, College of Charleston this weekend and the following week in William and Mary. And after this ad break, we are going to talk to JMU women's basketball, JMU overall star, basketball star, Kamaya Smalls about her uh, journey post JMU and kind of what she's seen out of the women's basketball team up to this point as well. One of the best to grace the hardwood at the Convocation Center, Kamaya Smalls etched her name in the JMU women's basketball history books during her four years in Harrisonburg. Smalls went down as a premier all-around player. She's top five all-time in career points per game and total points and countless other categories. She finished her JMU career averaging 14.5 points, 2.4 assists, and 5.3 rebounds per game. 
After her career was cut short at JMU due to the pandemic, Smalls was drafted to the Indiana Fever in the WNBA draft. She was waived prior to the season and signed with USE Basket Rosa Scotti, an Italian basketball team in the A1 League based in Empoli, Italy. According to Eurobasket.com, she currently leads the team in points with 18.7 per game, and she grabs 5.6 rebounds and dishes out 2.5 assists. Smalls was brought back to the Fever midway through the WNBA Wubble season, where she played in seven games, highlighted by her debut performance, where she went 4 for 4 from the floor and scored 13 points with two assists and four rebounds. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for that, Bennett and or Jack, whoever threw to us since we're recording, um, not live, but we are joined by, we'd argue, one of the best women's basketball players, probably one of the best JMU overall basketball players to touch the convocation court, Kamaya Smalls. How are you doing today, Kamaya? Thank you so much for having me, Jack. I really appreciate it. And I'm good, you know, living, <laughs> taking it. Yeah. How's, uh, how's your last, what is it now, uh, 11 months been through the pandemic? How's it been? Um, it's been up and down, as I'm sure you know. Uh, I've I've been in a couple different places. Um, currently in Italy, so it's been good. I'm um I'm doing my best just to stay up, you know, hoping to keep pushing through this. I haven't had any cases of COVID yet, so that's a blessing. Just pushing up. Yeah. So the last time JMU Nation probably was fully aware of what Kamaya was doing on the court was at the end of the CAA season last year when the season got ended prematurely. You guys had a great team, looked like things were going to be going your way in the CAA tournament. What was kind of that just initial feeling when you got the – or how did you get the word that the season was over? Um, I'll, This is actually one of those days I'll never forget, you know. Um, yeah. It was very much heartbreaking to – our whole team felt it, but I think our seniors is who it really hit um, the hardest, you know. Um, we were actually getting ready to play a game. Um, we were still in our hotel. Our game was maybe, I would say, about five hours away. And we get a call from our Dobo, Bree Skeens, telling us that we have a meeting. And by now, like, we were waiting to watch other games that were before us. And we noticed that, like, on the virtual, like, on the TV, that – the live stream just went off like it wasn't so we're thinking like our computers messed up like oh my god we get down there coach O tells us that they're canceling the season um a lot of tears in that room you know uh it was heartbreaking because like you said we we were about to win a championship and it was just frustrating very very flow it's uncontrollable can't can't harp on it too much yeah we Bennett and I we talked at at nauseum when that happened about just kind of like the potential you guys had. ESPN released something that kind of was like these are the dark horses that would have kind of had a run, and I think they projected you guys to even make it to the Sweet Sixteen. What did you feel out of that team if you guys had made it to the NCAA tournament? You had played Maryland extremely well earlier in the season, like you guys were playing with the big dogs that year, like. What did you guys expect? Like, what was the ceiling in your mind? I mean, of course, it's a championship, but, like, what was that ceiling? Um, to me, I, I felt like we could do anything at that point. Yeah. Like you said, we, we should have won the Maryland game. I'll say that 100 <laughs> times. And after that game and after that loss, I think that that's when we really started to excel. Um, I think that we learned a lot from that game. And I think that if we had that chance to go to that tournament, I think, 
like ESPN um, projected that we we could have went to the Sweet 16. I wouldn't say easily, but you know, coming in as that underdog, a lot of people don't think highly of us. And I think we were ready to shock the world in a lot of ways. So yes, yeah, it's, it's very sad, but you know, yeah. gotta get over it. Yeah, sorry I had to bring that up. Of course, had to had to talk <laughs> about that team. But now we'll move on to the happier things of it all. After the season was canceled, things are going on in the world. And WNBA calls, you get drafted by the Fever, I think, what, round three, pick 28, something like that. You right go on, to train. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get drafted. You go to preseason camp with them. You end up in Italy for a bit. And then the Wubble happens. And you get called back by the Fever to play in the Wubble. First game, you just go out of your mind. What was that Wubble experience like? It it was the most overwhelming yet <laughs> prepared feeling I've ever had in my life. You know, um, I got drafted on my 22nd birthday. Damn. I ended up getting waived um, maybe about two months later due to the fact that we didn't have any training camps. Mm-hmm. And when I got that call back, the only thing I was thinking was that if I would have stopped after being waived, that that debut could have went totally different, you know. Um, I stayed ready for that moment. So I think that it was just going from watching them on TV three days ago to actually being in that atmosphere is what really got me going, you know. Um, I'm the energy. I'm the, the upbeat. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to give my best. I'm not trying to outshine anybody. I'm not trying to get mines. I'm just trying to fill in where it's needed to be filled in. And I think I did a perfect job of that in that debut, which is why those points just came so easy. I was open. I shot the ball. I shot it pretty well. And I think that it really it really set a tone for me, you know. Were you starstruck at all? Because, what, that first game was Chicago, right? Yes. So you're playing, like, <laughs> Allie Quigley, Vanders, like, just huge. And then, I mean, just throughout the season, you played the Phoenix uh, – Mercury, right? Yeah, yeah. You played, I mean, what? I mean, Diana Torsi, they have uh, Diggins. Yes, like, just the yes. names you played. Like, I was going through it earlier today. And the names you played, you had to have been starstruck at some point during that. Like, these are, like, all-time athletes. I was struck as soon as I stepped foot inside that gate. I was actually, my very first day there, um, I'm on my way to stay in my – my little, we call them lodges. And Candace Parker hops on my cart, Jack. <laughs> and now, now I can't, I can't act like I'm like, oh my God, it's Candace Parker. Like I'm here with her. Like I'm here to compete against her. So I played it cool. But in my mind, I was like, oh my God, Candace. Like I wanted to give her the biggest hug in the world. But I played it cool, you know. Um, it was good though. It it was great. I actually got to guard Diana Tarasi. And just for the record, she did not score on me. Okay. So, <laughs> All right. Um, I got to guard her, and it was just, like, one of the craziest feelings in the world. I'm like, wow. This is somebody I've been looking up to since I was 10 years old, and I'm going up against her now. It was like a dream come true, seriously. Dream come true. Was it easy to guard her? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I went from Diana to Sky. Oh, Sky definitely. She she taught me how to use a pick and roll very well, Jack. <laughs> very well. <laughs> it not nobody. I don't think I came in contact with anybody that I could say was easy to guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that one? Oh, in the wobble. Just what's 
what's that like? Like just that experience, you're completely like, we heard about it a lot with the bubble and like so many people were kind of saying how like mental health was a big issue in there. Like you're just completely locked off. What was the wobble kind of like mentally like? Um, I was there for a short period of time, um, yeah. maybe like two, two and a half weeks. But even for me in those two, two and a half weeks, it was like isolated, like mind games kind of like it was like you have to find different things to do with like you know you're with your teammates but like you miss your people at home um it was like once your game is done then you're sitting here thinking about the fact that you're about to play another game in a day and a half it it was it was very exhausting so I can only imagine the people that were there for those two three months how they how they felt in that long period of time in my short period of time I was I low-key was struggling a little bit but we pushed through you know I'm proud of everybody that was there and got through that. That was, that was a rough experience. Yeah. Do you have any, do you, have you kept in contact with the fever at all? Do you know if you'll be back for next season, if you'll get a, a look in the, if, if there is a training camp, kind of what the plan is moving forward with the WNBA and the fever? Um, I have been in contact with the fever. We talk, we talk um, pretty often. Um, I'm hoping to go back to training camps. You know, I'm a free agent right now. So I'm working through a couple, couple different things. Um, by February 1st, we should know the team that I land on. So okay. hopefully I still get a chance. Hopefully, you know, if the fever want me back, I'm hoping that I can make that happen, you know, explore options, different things. So we, we're going to ha- have our fingers crossed, Jack. All right. We'll, we'll keep them crossed over here too. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be refreshing the Twitter feed on February 1st, waiting for your announcement on Twitter or whatever team announces it. Moving from the WNBA back to JMU, we've seen – kind of I think Bennett and I both have been kind of uh I think spoiled is the right way to put it I mean we went from (laughs) Precious Hall and Jasmine to you and now Kiki is just tearing up the court and it's kind of been like this like the teams have been great but there's always been kind of like the number one on the team like the go-to score kind of just the bucket getter it's what was that like was there like a torch pat and that's such a weird way of putting it but like from Precious to you you to Kiki, there's always been that one. Was there ever like, did Precious ever pull you aside? Like as she was leaving, it was just like, this is your team now, like go and get it. Or was it just kind of like an unspoken, like, like you guys knew that what, <laughs> what it was going to be like? Um, I think it was unspoken, but it, it was prepared through the whole year. You know, um, yeah. that last year with Precious told me a lot, you know, it was her fifth year, my first year. And, um, she went out there and she did it, you know. She 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 had that dog mentality, we like to say. That that's one of the things that goes around JMU a lot in our program, you know. Um, that dog mentality. She she put down a stern foot for what it means to hold like that key to success. So um watching that, I think that it just it just grows in like the next person, you know, the next person that comes in there ready to step into those shoes to go up against whatever it is we're going up against. And um, I think the same thing happened with me and Kiki. Um, I've known Kiki for a while now. You know, she's from Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, We were on the same AU team growing up. Uh, Obviously, she was on a younger team. I was on an older team. And um, it's always been a connection there with me and her. So um, as I was leaving, you know, we, we talk on multiple occasions still to this day just about the things that it takes to you know, be, just be successful and to keep growing the program and to make sure that those traditions stay alive, you know. Um, it was good to see them pick first in the CAA preseason rankings. So 
I let her know all the time, like, listen, you got some big shoes to fill. <laughs> you got to make sure you keep your team up to par. Make sure, you know, you motivate your young ones. Yeah, yeah you're considered an underclassman, but you're a leader of that pack. So it's a role that you take on very early. I think I had to do the same thing my sophomore year, you know, step into a big role. But when you're up for the challenge, you're up for the challenge. I never I, – I didn't even put that together, that Kiki got into that role her sophomore year. You got into it your sophomore year. I didn't even – I, I forgot that you were a sophomore when you kind of was the number one. That this team now that I'm I'm talking it out is very similar to that last, the last like crop. How you all came up kind of as sophomores and took over yeah. that team. Bennett keeps calling um, this women's basketball team this season the perfect pandemic team, just because mm-hmm. they're going to get that extra year of eligibility if they want it. And it's kind of I wouldn't say a wash of a year because they're still going out and 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 competing every night, but it's kind of like they're so young that they can yeah. just perfectly grow together. And like, if they all decide to stay there, that fifth year is just going to be crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah. <laughs> um, it's gonna be good. Yeah. What have you seen out of them this season? Like you said, you watched every game. There's, there's been some, there's been some growing pains uh, uh, as this season's gone on, but there's also been some shining moments. I think the Buffalo game was probably a uh, very good indication of what how great this team can be while also showing some of the growing pains. But what, what have you kind of just seen out of them so far this year? Um, the first thing I've seen, like the like the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask me that is the heart that that team has. You know, they're they're young, but they don't look afraid of anything. You know, they they go out there, they get they all they're all on a night to night basis. Um. I think that, like you said, it's growing pains. You know, they're young. You you have to learn the game. Um, they're going up against people. Example for uh, Buffalo, the I can't remember her name, but their leading scorer. Like you could just tell she was more experienced yeah. in the game than Jamu was. But they don't stop fighting. I haven't I have I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen them give up yet. And I think that that's the biggest thing that um, that'll get them to that next level, you know, and the chemistry, like you said, by if they all decide to stay through that fifth year, the chemistry is going to be through the roof by that point. So um, it's, it's good. It's good. They got some things to do, but it's still good. <laughs> What's it? Cause the CAA is playing that weird back-to-back schedule because of the pandemic. What is that like? Like, can you kind of just, cause my experience of playing basketball is at UREC during intramurals and getting uh, technical fouls because I slammed the ball on the ground. So I can't really speak too much to what the body feels like as you're going through back-to-back games playing at Division One high level. What is that? Like, do you feel that after game two? Jack, I can't even tell you how I would feel if I had to do that, you know. Uh, I feel bad for them kind of because if you're giving your all on that first night to turn around – to have to rewatch that game the next morning, a lot goes into, you know, preparation for a game. So to have to do that within 12, 16 hours of another game is kind of insane. So honestly, I give all the praise in the world to them for that. That's a struggle, seriously. I hope they have a lot of ice because they're going to need it. <laughs> do you think that benefits the winning team or the losing team more, like that quick turnaround? Or neither. <laughs> I can't even tell you because if both teams are giving their all, your body's aching. L- win or lose, your body is your body's hurting the next day. So 
I mean, it comes down to your mental space at that point. It comes down to which team is stronger mentally, you know. Um, there, there's no – there's no upper hand in that situation. Mm -mm. <laughs> There's no upper hand in that situation. So back to your time at JMU, kind of what was your, your favorite memory of that team? We moved from the past torching to current day. Let's, let's rewind it a bit and talk about your time at JMU. What, what was just starting it off favorite memory on the court? My senior year we're talking about here. Okay. Any year. Any year. Well, because I always throw it back to the Virginia Tech game, you know. Uh, that game is a prime example of I'm what so James basketball is. It, it's just amazing. Like, the atmosphere for the atmosphere to start with, the heart that we showed that game, going down, you know, to the last minute with that Virginia Tech team, being Kenny Brooks on his stomping <laughs> grounds. Like, that game right there defines what JMU women's basketball is. But – um. I give a lot of credit to our seniors that year, too, for that one. You know, uh, Ania Logan, they wanted that very – even Kayla Cooper-Williams, you know. Yeah. She was a part of that Kenny Brooks era, and, you know, they just wanted to beat them. And we, we went out there and we gave our all, especially for them. That was, that was a great year for us. So, it was very exciting. That game is definitely top one on my list. Prevail over the Hokies of Virginia What was um... – was that the season – that was WNIT sophomore – your sophomore year, right? Junior year. Junior, junior okay. When um, we made it to the Final Four. <laughs> was that the year – who'd you all fall to at the end? Northwestern at home. That, that was the Northwest – okay. Yeah. Um, and then you had the WNIT run, I think it was – so that was the same year. I, I'm getting all the years combined. Sorry, listen, I got to figure it out only because the memories just don't fade. <laughs> so <laughs> then there was the year where you guys were decimated by injury in the CAA tournament. Like, just all, like you blink and all of a sudden, I think you were hurt, Lexi was hurt, and then I think Madison Green was hurt. It was just, I don't think I've ever seen a team hurt by injury that much. But then you guys went into the WNIT and had a little run then. Was that, was that kind that of was like fulfilling? That was okay. Where we, we were the number one seed, and we were going to win a championship that year as well, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I broke my hand last regular season game. Then our second leading scorer, Lexi Barry, turns around, breaks her hand eight seconds into the first round of the tournament. We end up losing to the number nine seed, Hofstra, and we go into the WNIT, and we end up going to the Final Four. So, should – I, I have a feeling you're going to say you should have played in the WNIT, but with that broken hand, like, did you play through a lot of pain with that? Like, should you have been playing out there? Um, yeah, I should have been playing. Okay. I should have been playing. <laughs> it, it came down, it came down to a lot of things for me. And, um, it's actually crazy because before we even started preseason that year, I told Coach O, like, Coach O, I don't think that I want to play in this preseason. Like, I want my hand to be fully okay for us to be, okay for next year as time went on like my healing process was just moving and I found out that we could get Virginia Tech at home if we made it to a certain round I, I had to I had to it was it was like in my heart I knew that I could trust my trainers and um at the time uh Jess was our trainer and she was telling me that my hand looks good if I if I'm feeling good about it and I'm confident in what I can do 
go out there and do it. So I did it. I took my first shot against USF back from the hand injury. I made the three and it was all she broke from there. What would have happened if you missed that three though? Would you have been like, hot oh, man, this hand, I don't know. Nah, we don't make excuses. I would came back down and try to lay up. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a while back, we had Brian Shore on, and he was talking about how after he broke his collarbone, how, like, the trainers right before he went out, they were just like, don't get hit. And he was like, well, what happens if I get hit? And they were like, just don't get hit. So I was wondering if it was kind of the same thing with the hand. But I guess I guess the tra- I won't throw the, the basketball, tra- the football trainers under the bus, but I guess basketball trainers uh, kind of had it probably wrapped a little bit tighter than they had Brian Shore's collarbone. <laughs> if it was a concern. For Jess, I promise she would not have let me play that game. <laughs> so that core that was with Logan Reynolds and everything, and you brought up just kind of her impact and Ania Young's impact and Kayla Cooper Williams. What was it like playing with Logan Reynolds? People kind of described her as like this gritty, tough, almost like um, I don't know the best way to describe her 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 game style, but she'd always just be around the ball and forcing turnovers and just. Just like that. What was that like? The perfect point guard. I I can't like, and that's the best way I can put it. Logan was the perfect point guard. Logan got you the ball in the spot you needed the ball in whenever, whenever, wherever, you know. Um, You always had to prepare prepare yourself for when Logan was going to pass you the ball. It was kind of like, like a Steve Nash in women's basketball, you know, like (laughs) You need to be ready for the pass. And the one thing that used to frustrate us about Logan was that she wouldn't shoot the ball when she was open. And we're like, Logan, shoot the ball. She's like, nah, I want the assist. And she ended up having, like, in, in the nation, I think at one point she was ranked, like, second in the nation for assist-to-turnover ratio. Logan Logan was and, – and she was the point guard that kept you level-headed. She was a great leader for us. Um, an unsung hero, kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we, we. I remember I'd be calling games with Kurt on Madison, and she'd get it just wide open at the top of the key and just would grab it. No one would run out to her because I guess in the scouting report it says Logan doesn't yeah. shoot. And then she'd just like <laughs> pass it off. And it would always be the perfect pass. And we'd Every always just kind of sit there and be like, we were like, we can't be mad because it ended in two points or it ended in three points. But at the same time, like shoot the ball. But I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you guys were thinking the same thing. <laughs> did you, did you, did you ever stat watch? Cause I know a lot of players talk about how they never stat watch. Like, did you, like when you were having like great seasons, did you ever kind of like peek at stats and be like, well, what do I need to do to get into like the top 10 JMU all times? Or like, where do I stack up among the nation? Like, what do I need to do this game to like move up? Was there ever that, or was it just go out there and play your game? No, I'm not even, no, no, not even close for me. For me, it all comes down to winning. Um, I mean, I want to be at my best performance-wise, um, but to say that I sat there and just searched my stats, it, that's not the kind of person I am, you know. Um, it came down to a lot of times where my teammates and Coach O would be mad at me because I wasn't shooting the ball enough. I'm like, Nah, I like the pass too, you know, like I could, I could score, but like, I like to, you know, run up some assists. Um, I can say though, that the one stat that I always tried to focus on was my turnovers, which I guess is like, not as good as watching your shooting percentage, I guess, <laughs> but I hated turning the ball over. I was like obsessed with it for like my last two seasons. 
And they were like, this isn't the stats you're supposed to be watching. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to turn the ball over. <laughs> what, do you remember what your turnover numbers were those last two seasons? Do you still remember it? Um, That'd be something if you still remember it. At least two, two point, I want to say five turnovers a game, and I still hate myself for it. <laughs> That's such a low number, though. But then Coach Joe would try to make me feel better by saying, you have the ball in your hands so much, you're going to turn it over. It's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> and kind of last question then to wrap it all up after we trying to get on to a happier note after the 2.5 turnovers, which is a great mark. Um, <laughs> CAA play, you guys, you ran into Elon a couple of times, and then uh, I think it was, was it Drexel that always seemed to be the number two in the CAA? Yeah. What was playing in the CAA like, just like from a a, a play perspective? Because as fans, we're sitting home watching it, and it seems like a gritty league, um, especially on the women's side. What What is just playing in the CAA and playing a full conference slate, like at the end of it when you guys are number one or number two? Like, what is that feeling? Um, you said it. The perfect word I would say is gritty. You know, um, we're competitive, especially those um those top teams, I'll even give it to the lower teams, you know, um, they, they compete, they could be a bottom, but they're going to compete with you on a night to night basis. And, and CAA play, it's like whoever shows up that night could come away with the win, you know? So um, when it comes down to it, I would personally say that the CAA is one of the most competitive leagues there is, you know, um, we give our all, every single team gives their all. Um, you got your, your shining players, you know, you got your glue players, your defensive players and everybody does what they need to do. So um, it all comes down to who shows up that night and it's a fair shake throughout the CA every year. Yeah. It, it's always, it's always fun watching the the schedule and we'll be projecting, like we'll be on the podcast and be like, okay, so Jamie, you should win this game, yeah. this game and this game. And then we're just kind of like, but we wouldn't be surprised if like, they split these and it's kind of that way across the board too. like every yeah. single sport. Like, I don't know if it's cause it's a Northeastern, like, like <laughs> done. So like it, it just, it, what it recruits so many Northeastern kids, like yeah. it is a gritty yeah. league across the board. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kamaya. Um, I'm really glad I was able to ask you some questions that I've always thought, but never had an athlete at your level that I could ask. Um, we wish you the best of luck this season. When does your season start? We already started. We're in the mix. We're oh. we're close to done right now. Oh, to be honest. I should have re researched that a little harder. Jeez. <laughs> All right, how's your team doing? We're good. Um, we're sitting in like the middle of the pack right now. We're about, I would say, five or six in the standing. So top eight goes to playoff. So we're in a pretty good position right now. Working hard, you know, staying consistent. <laughs> trying to stay consistent as possible. What's the team name? So any anyone in JMU, if they're up uh, – up at weird times of the day can uh, watch you play in Italy. If there's any, I, I, it, f somehow find a way of a stream or something like that. I don't know. Maybe. Uzi basket Rosa is based in um, Empoli, Italy. So we're in the um, a one league top league in Italy. Um, we're competing with some, some pretty good teams out here too. Much more physical game than in the States. So <laughs> it's tough over here. <laughs> so it's preparing you for February 1st when you come back for the WNBA season with whoever Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kamaya. Um, good luck and good luck in the playoffs. Thank you so much, Jack. And go Dukes, as always. <laughs> A great conversation with Kamaya Smalls. It's one that I 
enjoyed listening to, was not able to attend because I had the very important job of asking ACC men's basketball coaches whether they preferred suits or casual attire during that time. So (laughs) (laughs) I missed out on that, but it was a a heck of an interview. It was cool because it it covered so many things. You talked about, you know, the WNBA bubble and and that experience, but also our time at JMU. And the part that stood out to me maybe the most is when you were talking about some of those previous years and you were trying to sort of rack your brain for you know what year was this when did this all happen and she was like this happened on this day when like it was still so vivid to her because of how much those memories meant to her it was crazy. I also tried to figure out with her hand injury when she broke her hand Mm -hmm. that NIT run because I remember we talked to Brian Shore and I brought it up in the interview we talked to Shore and he was like I should not have been playing with my broken collarbone like and that was kind of like oh wow like that was an intense run then you got you did and I was hoping she'd be like, I probably shouldn't have been playing, but I just had to do it for the love of the game. But she was like, no, I was good to go. And, of course, she nails the three against USF to, to come back from that injury, which was crazy. That was an injury, just crazy injury game, um, injury season. But that was a great conversation. And in Italy, I didn't – this is where I fell short on this, and I think uh, Bennett would have uh, come in clutch with it. I didn't do – my full research with her Italian career, but she's balling over there in Italy. Her team's right now around the sixth spot, which she's going to make the playoffs. And then there'll be a postseason run over there in Italy. And then we're going to know on February 1st, where, where, and if Kamaya is making a return back to the WNBA since her contract is up with the Indiana fever. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And um, like you mentioned, the, the Italian career seems to be going well. And that's sort of not a surprise for a lot of uh, WNBA caliber players where they play the WNBA season and sometimes go overseas too. And it's actually got a chance to be pretty lucrative. So for her to have some success there and play really well, and then also have opportunities at the WNBA is, is really cool. Cause I think they're getting closer to maybe having more players good enough to eventually get into the WNBA uh, on a consistent level. I think Maya maybe can be a, a start for that. Yeah, and in WNBA news, I don't know if you saw, but I believe Chelsea Gray and Candace Parker both left the LA Sparks, which is kind of huge. Um, but we won't get too much into WNBA news. We'll jump over to men's basketball now, and they are coming off a one-in-one split with Northeastern and a big-time win over Towson, who had Zane Martin back. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like, <laughs> Towson's so bad. <laughs> like, I mean, you want to be nice, but, like, Towson's really not great. So, for them to sweep Towson is exciting. Towson's only wins this year. They've got a win over Coppin State, and then they actually swept UNCW, somewhat surprisingly. But they've they've struggled this year. So, that one was – it was good for them to follow up the Northeastern win. That's the one that really has me excited. Like, to go into Northeastern – I mean, this is the first time Northeastern's lost – in that specific venue where they almost <laughs> never play since 2005, <laughs> Jack. They're Breaking playing in an arena they, they used played to play. there probably since 2004. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like the 05 season. I think they, they do like occasional stuff where sometimes because they're more of a hockey school and they share the hockey arena typically um, and play basketball. And then the women's team plays in the whatever it is, the Cabot Center. Um, and that's also where they play volleyball. And that's where they were able to, to play this year. And, yeah, they mentioned it on the broadcast. They're like, first home loss since 2005 at this place. Um, so I think they didn't even mention the ad on the broadcast, though. They made it seem like Northeastern had not lost a home basketball game in over a decade, which is very much not true. 
they probably on the, the, those were probably the best non JMU announcers. I mean, we're also a little biased with saying that we prefer the JMU announcers, but I think those were probably the best announcers we've had for an away game so far this season. But they probably just didn't read the full note, and they're like, first home loss. Whoa, we gotta mention this on the broadcast." <laughs> um, that was one of the ones where you're flipping through the uh, game notes at about the four minute mark left in the second half. And you're like, what's crazy about that? And you just see that stat and you're like, boom, there it is, done. Yeah, they were good. They were with uh, Nesson or whatever up there in in the Boston area, which made it a lot better. You don't have like the the Towson announcer who's crying literally tears every time (laughs) Matt Lewis made a shot. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm excited about this team for them to be able to split against Northeastern, which is still, in my opinion, the best team in the conference. Yeah. Uh, it's the first loss. Northeastern was 7-0 and in the conference going into that game, and then they followed it up with a blowout win over a bad Towson team. But it's they're doing a good job. They're on the fringe of the top 200 in Ken Palm. They're at 201 as of when we're recording this, and they actually just moved to the top 150 at number 150 in the net ranking. So they're becoming a lot less embarrassing. This is probably the first time in net, not probably, this is the first time in net ranking history JMU has cracked the top 150. Yeah, I don't think they were there last year. (laughs) They were not all that good. It's just they're playing better basketball. Vado Morris dropped 30 in the win against Northeastern the day after he had three points and was one of 10. So kind of a huge change for him there. And he was really confident against Towson too. And they looked a lot better. Zach Jacobs gave some contributions because Amadi had a couple early fouls. Matt Lewis was doing Matt Lewis things. He's been pretty good all year. I don't know. I think there's there's some reason to be excited. Which game do you want to jump into first and just kind of break down? Northeastern series or the Towson game? Uh, let's, let's do uh, – we can do Northeastern series. We'll go chronologically, I suppose. Okay, perfect. I also don't know how much weight that Towson game carries. I mean, I guess we can talk a little bit about sure. St. Martin, but – yeah, yeah. The, the Northeastern. He also got tossed was, with like ten minutes left. Yeah, North. That, that first game, though. I I want you to start, and then that way I can I I know what to talk about because I'm really okay. torn on this Northeastern like that that split. Like you're very hype about it. I don't think I'm as much excited about it as you are. I think I'm more cynical. I'm a little jaded. I texted you that after the game defensively they're not good like I don't think Jamie's any good defensively so I have a lot of doubts like about this team long term and what it can actually do but here's the here's the one take that I have from that weekend and and maybe the Towson game too um Lewis Rowe came to JMU without ever coaching a game as a head coach he had never been a head coach so he had been an assistant for about a decade and that includes like three years as a graduate assistant at JMU so he had I think in terms of assistant coaching like full-time assistant coaching not a grad assistant. I think he had like seven-ish years, maybe eight. Mark Byington has been a head coach for like, I forget the exact number of years, but it was like six or seven years, I think. Let me pull it up. Six or seven years at, uh, what is it, Georgia Southern? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Georgia Southern. So he had, what is it, last, yeah, seven years. Uh, he was an intern at the College of Charleston in 2011, 2012, before they moved into the CAA. They were in the Southern Conference. But my thing is like, his first year, Georgia Southern went 6-10 and 10 in the league, which was the Southern Conference. They ended up moving to the Sun Belt the following season. He's been at least a 500-conference team every single year the last six years. So the worst he had was 10-10. and 10. He's been above 500 the other five years. He's won at least 11 games in five of those last six years. Like, his teams have been good. He's won 20 games the last three seasons as a head coach. 
So for this team, like this team's always been talented since since Roe came. Like they've had a good roster. Matt Lewis is the best player in the league, and he's playing like his best player in the league. So you have a talented roster with a somewhat competent coach. Like it's not surprising to me that they're better. I don't think they're going to win the league. I don't think they're the best team in the league this year. But I think there's a re- legitimate reason to be excited, and that's because I don't think Mark Byington came here like he came here to make the NCAA tournament, which he's never done before. He didn't come here to be like a 30-year head coach at GMU. Like I think Mark Byington is young enough that he has high major coaching aspirations, which is great news for GMU fans because I think he's going to get them to a point where they're good enough to make the NCAA tournament and win the league, and then he's going to leave. But that's fine because I think he's going to win. Like I feel very confident in him as the head coach where I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it's kind of like VCU. I mean, Shaka Smart wasn't there to be a 30, 30 year VCU head coach. He was there to move on. And like, it's perfectly fine. I think JMU fans get this like idea in their head. And I, I love JMU too, but they get this idea in their head that JMU is the, this Walt Disney world that you want to go to and stay for the rest of your career. And Harrisonburg, Virginia is where you want to raise your kids and all of this stuff. And it doesn't matter about the money. All that matters is that you're winning and you make good money and you're in Harrisonburg. Like, and they just build it up. Like, I'm, like, that was so big with Mike Houston. They're like, why would he want to leave? And it's, it's like, well, because JMU is a stepping stone school, which is what you want to be. You're not going to be dishing out $2.3 million a year for a coach like Texas is with Shaka Smart or like Kentucky is with Calipari. Like, you're dishing out, I think, 750 at the most a year, which is great money, but it's a stepping stone school. Mark Byington came here to win for a few years and move on. Mike Houston came here in football to take us to two national championships and then have an interesting third season and move on. Kurt Signetti, he might be here for the long haul because he's, who knows? But, I mean, if they had gone out and hired um, that Tex- the Texas coach who was like an old JMU alum who was really young and he had, yeah. he had good asp- – he has aspirations past JMU too – we're a stepping stone school and it's okay. And that's what Byington is going to bring. And and then the key is just hiring another good coach who can make this a stepping stone. The issue before is like Roe wasn't good enough to be a step. Like they hired Matt Brady under the assumption that they then basically, they're basically saying they wanted to get to NCAA tournaments, right? They wanted to win the league yeah. and they wanted to get to a point where they could be a stepping stone. They obviously would never say that, but that's kind of what the goal was. It was like, all right, let's get good enough so that we can be what the football team is where they, you know, compete yeah. to win conference titles. And then whatever that brings in terms of the postseason, obviously it's very different for the football team than it would be for the men's basketball team. At least now, um, if you're in the CAA, you're probably not winning national championships hey. um, at that level. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, but I mean, like, you've clearly got to continue to improve as a program. And that was sort of the thing was like, all right, Brady has a stagnant. Let's go and move on. And then they hired a guy who had never been a head coach and was an assistant on like historically losing programs. So it didn't make any sense. Now they've hired a guy who's like a successful head coach. So like, I'm very excited that they appear to be heading in a direction. <laughs> like, I think they have an idea of what they're doing defensively. They, like, move. Like, they have their hands up. They're not good, but they have their hands up, and they're trying to get better. Here's my favorite stat that I found. I figured out what it was just recently when I was writing the Northeastern game preview. Effective possession ratio. It is what you can use for a lot of March Madness upsets. It's it's a big-time predictor in figuring out what upsets are going to, going to occur. And it's, it's – uh, 
the amount of shots you get per possession. Um, and JMU offensively is around 0.93, and that's that's pretty solid. But defensively is where I want to look at this because we talk about how bad they are defensively. But over their last three games, they're allowing just 0.863 shots per possession. Now, I'm going to break that down a little bit because there's, there's more to it. Northeastern um, is one of the lower uh, effective possession ratio teams in the country, averaging around 0.87 around that margin. So that's why they're, they kind of dropped off. Against Towson, they allowed 0.963 shots per possession. So it's just getting a call in the middle of this fantastic monologue. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I think that's why it's 0.863. Um, and that was just a side tangent to kind of rub it in Northeastern's face that they have a very lackluster offense, but a fantastic defense. But on the season, JMU's 95th in the country at 0.908 for opponents' effective possession ratio, which is not terrible. Like, this defense I don't think is that bad. I think the problem is turnovers, not defense. I think it's both because, like, they do a nice job. You're wrong, Bennett. (laughs) They do a nice job of, like, creating – occasionally they can create some turnovers and do some things. They have, I would argue, the worst rim protection – of any team like in college basketball okay they have so no like, post player so i guess have, right. i guess you have a so point they don't <laughs> they don't have a five the other thing is like there's like defensively for me like i think it's um some of it too is like with the stat you're saying that's basically how many shots you give up per possession is that right yeah so that would factor in like turnovers. so if you force turnovers you're going to be good at that metric right so it's zero it would be zero if you force a turnover right. and then you, it's also kind of factors in offensive rebounds. Like if they too. get three yeah. shots because of two offensive rebounds on that. So I think it's a really, I really love this stat and I just figured it out. And it's kind of a really, and it's why I thought JMU was going to win the first Northeastern game and then lose the second. I just got that mixed up. The other thing that I guess worries me a little bit is they're not like a dominant rebounding team. Um, so they also have that. But the other thing is like, they give up a fairly decent amount. It's actually a little bit better than you might think. But the other concern I have is like when teams do get shots off, like a lot of those shots are open. Towson had a ton of open shots and they just, oh, they're so, they're the worst shooting team this season. Like they're one of the worst shooting teams in the country. Horrible. Literally one of the worst, 15 worst three-point shooting teams in college basketball per Ken Palm. Like, they just suck. So that's where I want to see the defense against, like, respectable teams. Because you even mentioned Northeastern's offense isn't really all that special. There's a good defensive team. So you cut out at um, you want like Northeastern's a bad offensive team too. So you want to see them play like a good offense. Yes. 
Yes, and then my question for you is, is there a Colonial Athletic Association team <laughs> that's actually any good at offense? Like, are they going to be tested defensively, or is this defense going to be good enough for them to win, like, 10 conference games? No, I, that, people probably thought this podcast just cut out because that was such a long, um, such a long pause. They're like looking Foster's at it. Okay, like, who is a good offensive team in the CAA? Like Looks JMU like might be one of the best, the better offensive teams. Hofstra and Delaware both appear to be in the top one hundred and fifty in Ken Palm. JMU is just outside it, so I guess those are there are two that I guess you would maybe look to for JMU at least. And they you know, play back-to-back back against... weekends. <laughs> They've got Delaware in between, I think. I thought you said Delaware so have... and Hofstra are good offense. No, sorry, Hofstra and Drexel. Oh, okay. And then Delaware appears to stink on both ends of the floor. Nobody in the league's really good, though. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. And, like, <laughs> like okay, so what we saw against Northeastern, the reason their number is so low is because they're a very slow-paced – methodical offense they're going to pass 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 take a shot and then move on like where jmu's a very up-tempo like northeastern's one of the slowest teams in the nation jmu's one of the faster teams in the nation so that's also going to affect your effective possession ratio so i think that's what it's going to come down to is when they play a good offense that's also a little faster tempo because like if they can get multiple possessions, if both teams are getting a lot of possessions, I think that's when you're going to see this defense truly tested. But I do think this defense is a little bit better than we give them credit for. I think the problem is the like when JMU turns it over a lot, when they turn it over more than 15 times, I bet they're probably don't have a win. Yeah. They, they struggle a lot with, with turnovers and when they can take care of the ball, they're, they're pretty decent. But I mean, it's it's interesting because like Northeastern's slow, but they're also not efficient because like a lot of the metrics take account for like tempo, and they're still like not good offensively. But they seem to get shots pretty easily against JMU. Like there's no time where I really feel confident. Every time they they've done it a couple times, but where I think JMU's like, you know what? I think they're going to hold them scoreless for three minutes. Like I've never thought that watching JMU this year. I've always been like, how many points do you think they're going to give up in the next? five minutes because it might be 20 it like <laughs> there was a point in that northeastern game where it was kind of like jmu and northeastern like jmu was up five or something like that and i swear you just blinked and all of a sudden jmu was down like 15 and you're like yeah. how did that happen then they did it against house in the other way where they were down 13 to 2 and they went on a 17 to 0 run and it was just like in the blink of an eye and i was like good lord because matt lewis and vado morris when they get going it seems like every shot they, they take is going to go in. So they've got some guys that can score. Their defense appears to be getting a little better, although they still need to – I I guess I'm mostly sad because, like, can you imagine how interesting and potentially good they would be if they had been able to also convince Dwight Wilson to stay? Okay, I was glad you brought this up. This team's good this season, and they have a, they're going to be a top-half CAA team. I think we both can agree on that. They're going to win a game or two in the CA tournament, maybe win it all. Who knows? I don't know. I won't I won't give them any guarantees until they do it. Matt Brady scarred me for that. <laughs> um But I was thinking about this yesterday. If they had Darius, I mean, granted, you then kind of think, well, then who would not have transferred? 
let's just for for okay. this argument, let's just say Rashawn Fredericks, who already has left the program, <laughs> okay. transfer here. That's convenient. And TJ Taylor, who's getting minuscule minutes, didn't transfer. Um, and they kept Dwight and they kept Darius. I think this team is a top, top contender in the CAA. Well, yeah, but <laughs> kept two first-team caliber players. Heck, yeah, they'd be, they'd be darn good. But I think, I guess that's the sort of my Byington point is, like, they had those players last year and they sucked. That, I, I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I, think, I think also, like, and I'm not trying to trash on teams of years past, but this is going to come across as trashing on teams of year past. They had no defense for four years. Like Matt Lewis was not really told, like you're doing this wrong on D. Like at least it it never looked like that. So like he was, this whole team was behind the eight ball when it comes to like how to play defense correctly. And so they're just learning. Not only are they learning, like especially Matt and Zach Jacobs who were in the row era. Like not only yeah. now are they learning how to play defense the team as a whole has to learn how to play defense and the team as a whole has to learn Byington's scheme. They're also, I think it's probably not appreciated enough. Like Matt Lewis is significantly more efficient this year. Like he scores at the rim a lot better. He's shooting the ball pretty well. Like there were times in years past where he was still a really good player, but he's become like pretty clearly in my mind, like this kid is the best player in the conference. He has shut me up 100%. Coming into the season and the past seasons, I'd always harp on he wasn't an effective shooter. He was, gonna, he was like a Russell Westbrook where he's going to take 30 shots a game and he's going to have a poor percentage, but he's going to get his and he's going to get his points. Now Matt is, can take a game over. We've seen it on multiple occasions where they might be down five or they might be up two and it's kind of a close game and then Matt just takes it over. He's one of the best guards in the country when it comes to shooting inside the two-point arc. He's really improved his three-point shooting. He's put together his entire game. He listened to what NBA scouts had to say, and he's showing that he is the best player in the CAA. He has shut me up 100% because he's going to take his shots. He's going to get his points, but most importantly, he's going to be an effective shooter and an effective offensive player. Here's my question for you. This is basically my last point. There's one team in the conference per Ken Palm and CA only games that is in the top two in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Who is it? JMU. It is JMU. So I think it makes sense. Our defensive points kind of go along the same thing. They lead the conference in turnover percentage created in conference play. They're eight out of 10 teams in block percentage. They're seventh or toward the bottom in two point shooting percentage allowed. So they're not great necessarily defensively but they create a ton of turnovers um a lot of that is you know with taking charges or just forcing bad passes then also their third and steal percentage in conference games so they're not necessarily the best defensive team but they got a little they got a little georgia tech in it where they got some guards who can go out and steal the ball so uh yeah and then to also be in the top two in terms of you know offensive efficiency it's pretty darn impressive it's pretty I think darn impressive. with that stat, the defensive portion doesn't impress me too much just because they've played a bad Northeastern yes. offense and a terrible Towson offense. Fair. What fair. impresses me is their offensive efficiency because they played the best TAA defense and they put up 79 in one of the games. 
63 and the other. We won't talk about that one. But, I mean, it, it's impressive that with the defenses they've played, they're a top offensive efficiency team. Defense, we'll talk about that in a few weeks after they've played a couple more games and we have a better sample. Do you know who the worst offensive team in conference-only games is? Towson. So far this season? And it's Jim. Who is it? It's Elon. Oh. They've only played Northeastern and they got murdered in both. But that's who that's who Jamie plays next. So they're going up against another offense that is subpar. So you're right. We gotta be a little patient here to see if the defense what is the defense. But what I will say is like when they go up against some of these better offenses, those teams don't have the same defense as Northeastern. Like if JMU plays a shootout, I kinda like their chances. I do too. JMU is such a fast tempo team that's that that, that shoots well enough that if they get in a just in a sprint with Hofstra, just running up and down the court. I love Jamie's chances in that. Now, if they're in a defensive slugfest, give me the other team. I think that's the thing that's interesting is like they can go on a 9-0 run very quickly. I think this year they kind of, at least to me watching, they have like a belief that they can do that. Whereas in years past, if they got down 13-2 to to Towson, I think they might look over to the bench and they'd see like a moderately confused Lewis Rowe and kind of never really rally. And this year it seems like they call a timeout and they're like, all right, like, here's what we're going to do. Let's just do it. And then they just do it. Yeah. Morris, so when, he's on, Morris when he's on is a top tier CAA player. When he's off, I don't know. Not, not as he's much. He's got a little streakiness to him. He, he has, uh, I mean, just, granted, the, his last uh, two games have been phenomenal. But he's kind of a liability defensively when his offense isn't scoring. Yeah, he definitely seems like a, a player who's maybe a little more locked in overall when the shot's falling, where you're also going to get a couple steals from him. So I think as he continues to grow uh, defensively, that'll be huge. But yeah, I'm interested to sort of see the rest of the season. They're scheduled to go now a week before playing against Elon, I think it is, or something. Or maybe I have that wrong. I thought it was right, but I'm looking. play February 30th against Elon. Okay, I was getting it all confused with... Because they keep the games on the schedule, it just says postponed in the corner. We also there's also only one UNCW game scheduled. Yeah, they had that one postponed too, so that's like a remake game on the ninth. So we'll see how all that stuff goes. But I like this team so far. I think they've got some some pieces and some growth. And in future seasons, I think the main thing is like you got to get a five. Hey, let's get a big guy who can actually play the five. Yeah, he's on the bench right now, just getting ready. He's in a boot right now. Really? Yeah, Joel Mensa was in a boot. So, Damn. according to Shane Metlin, so we will see what happens there. But I mean, yeah. he's not going to, they're just going to play ultra small ball for the rest of this. He's not, I don't think he's, he's going to see time in. Not this season. No, time. it'll definitely be an ultra small ball, but I would like it where Amadi does not have to finish his career at the five. Yes. Remember when Matt Lewis started his career as the two? Yeah. That's all I, I got. Combo guard. That's all I got. Same here. I think this was a pretty good podcast uh, highlighted by Kamaya's interview. Um, I think we had some really good advanced stats talking, um, talking some effective possession ratio, my personal favorite stat, talking some offensive and defensive efficiency via Ken Palm. That's Bennett's favorite website. I think he loves Ken Palm, Palm, just like putting in different things to figure it out. Um, Do you want to do a quick hit on football? I guess so.
All right, Bennett, you, you ready for uh, some now football takes? Yes, I am ready for football <laughs> takes because <laughs> I have a bunch of takes stored up because a weird habit about me, I don't know if you know this, when I get bored, I just like find myself on the jamie roster page like looking through position groups and like the weights and stuff and i'm like wow <laughs> these guys are fit that's these guys what, are gonna be that, tough that was the downfall of the colgate game though you did that on the colgates page and you're like Man, uh, you're small kids and then you watch the highlights and you're like damn they suck and then you just text me and they're like we're gonna blow them out by 50 and then it looked like that after the opening kickoff and that first drive and then from there it all just went to shit yeah, I remember watching those and looking through, and I was like, man, the the pound-for-pound pound advantage that they have, and then they're running this nonsensical, basically an option scheme out of the shotgun, and it got to us toward, like, the third quarter, man. We couldn't stop it for a couple of drives, and uh, obviously Ben DiNucci, you know, the wind and whatnot, he threw five interceptions out of his control completely. Um, <laughs> God, what a horrible game. If he doesn't throw five picks, obviously they win, so. In uh, my defense, throws- I'd – in Danucci's def- let's not get down this rabbit hole. I guess it's another day. Like so a- more. <laughs> we need to schedule Colgate and just get this out of our system. Like they need to bring Colgate to Harrisonburg or go there and just beat them by forty. And when they have just. All right. What are your hot takes? We we got to get this done quickly because you're breaking in and out on this Zoom. Yes. Okay. My hot take is that Colt Johnson is basically an NFL quarterback. So I hope he's a starter. Uh, what? Dude, with his cannon, if you give him a spring and a fall, I think he gets drafted. I, although the issue I have is that, is he going to be able to get, beat out Gage Maloney? And then maybe more importantly, can he beat out Kyle Adams? <laughs> or more importantly, <laughs> are they just going to employ a running back at quarterback and run it a hundred times out of a wildcat? Because <laughs> that is very oh much. Oh my important. God. They had, they had their like media session or whatever, the virtual CA coaches. They were only on for 10 minutes, I think, but Signetti in his 10 minutes was able to say that he likes the offensive line and he likes the running backs. If that's not the most very Signetti, you're not paying attention to JMU football enough. TJ at quote uh, tweeted something out. He was like, what's your, what's your expectation for the JMU offense? And I quote tweeted, it would run the ball 75 times a game. I don't think there will be a game this season where the quarterback passes for more than 25 times. I mean, you look at Moorhead State and Robert Morris, those are the two February games. I mean, do you think they'll throw it 10 times? (laughs) I think, Jim, you will. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Like, when you have Percy, you have Jawan, you have Solomon Van Horse, you have Latrell Palmer, you have Austin Douglas, you have – insert other name here like everyone like three walk-ons we don't even know yeah but every running back on this roster of the four or five I, I lost count however I named are starter caliber on any other FCS team yeah I mean they've got just an absurd number of players and that's what kind of scares me if they go Gage Maloney I literally don't think they will throw they would th- we would turn into like a triple op we're gonna have a fullback a fullback that's just going to be Latrell Palmer. And then we're going to have Percy and Jawan switch out at the, the halfback. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It kind of takes us back to the, I mean, Houston opening press room when people are like, uh, sir, are you going to run a triple option? <laughs> and he's like, no. And everyone's like, oh, thank God. Honestly, give me the wishbone. Let's bring back Oklahoma football 1922. Let's line up in the wishbone. Let's do full house sets like in Madden, how we used to play that with 
the quarterback and then boom, boom. And then the halfback back. Let's just, let's go old school. The best part is that he's not wrong when he's like, Oh, I like the offensive line. I like the running back. Like realistically, those are probably the two best positions on the team. Yes. <laughs> I, I, and then I think defensive line might be the third. And here's the thing. With a team that's as good running the ball as JMU in theory is going to be, it's going to make the defense so much better. Like they're going to be rested. Like there's a strong possibility that JMU can hold the ball each time they get the each time they have an offensive possession. There's a strong possibility that they can run at least like five minutes of clock of like yeah. game time. And like what's so that that's probably like 20 minutes real time with a commercial break thrown in there. And a few other things. The defense will never be tired. I mean, these are really huge predictions, and they're gonna bite me in the butt. <laughs> like, I never but hey, man, we've got we've got like three weeks, three weeks until they play. It's very easy to like look at this roster and be like, we're gonna hold the ball for forty minutes. We're gonna win seventy to three, and uh, it's gonna be perfect. There's gonna be no COVID issues. It's gonna be perfect. Obviously, some things will will occur, and I'm interested to see how the season actually goes, especially when they, you know all the potential COVID things that, that could go wrong. And I'm, the other thing I'm interested to see is like how far will some of these FCS teams go in terms of missing players in a game? I'm not going to focus on the sad. I'm going to ask you a question instead and just completely gloss over what you just said. Over John under. Rostein-esque. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> over under 50 points allowed in the first two weeks. Like combined. <laughs> way under way under you could cut that in half and i might still take the under jesus the first two weeks are more i mean more at state and robert morris are terrible yeah but what i'm thinking is like, like in the total points quarter, allowed like i have a feeling we're gonna have 70 points midway through the third quarter and then we're just going to i think uh, they only gave up against like morgan state last year it was 12 then they gave up i think seven against another cupcake so they only give up 19 in those two. So I feel confident. Now, I think the defensive line is going to be great. I have some questions about linebacker and um, the secondary. But I would definitely take under under 50. I might take under 40. I might take okay. under 30. I might take under Seven 30. and 12 last year in the two cupcakes. What, what do you think? I think under two, but I think it's a little bit closer. Okay. I mean, the issue is some of it is, like, how much are you letting Cole Johnson throw? Like, do you want NFL scouts to see him yet, or do you want to hold some of that back for the fall? Uh, I hate you. <laughs> I'm serious, man. 6'5", with a cannon of an arm? I don't okay. know. How much does Carson Wentz sucking hurt FCS quarterback draft stock? I don't think it matters too much. If you're a good – like, Trey Lance, no one's going to care about Carson Wentz. Trey Lance is a stud. Uh, he's obviously no Cole Johnson, but he's a good player. Okay, give me one more hot take. We're gonna we're we're gonna wrap up this podcast. If but just give me one more hot take. Okay. Um. Well, not a hot take, but I'm excited to see the teams. I still can't get over like March sixth at Elon, and it's not like a men's basketball game. Like it's it's the football team. This isn't you know Odyssey Alexander trotting out onto the into the circle March sixth at Elon. Like we got a March football season. Man, it's gonna be so weird. I'm excited. <laughs> They play Richmond twice in a three-week span. That's going to be – JMU Nation might combust. That's the dream. And then, obviously, we got Moorhead State and Robert Moore. I'm a little frustrated, actually. Here's my hot take. Um, it kind of a huge scheduling miss to not get Chawan. 
I don't know if they have a football team, but like, how are you, how are they not on this schedule? What about Alice Lloyd? Give me some, give me, no, you know who we need to bring back? Lancaster Bible College. Let's remake that. Um, could you imagine an NAIA school coming <laughs> in and playing JMU? God, that would be ugly. I would like to see us play Bridgewater. Like, let's right. figure out, we know that, like, those are the two teams that run the state. So who runs it for real? Is it Bridgewater? Is it JMU? Let's settle it on the field. <laughs> let's have a season. You know, this is the miss of the season. Not just running it back against every single Virginia school. ODU, UVA, Virginia Tech, in a round-robin type of format so that the, the winner is a D3 school against JMU and it's for bragging rights. I think the CAA actually should try something similar to what they do with basketball, and this is more of a serious take. Um, you know how they play, like, back-to-back Saturday, Sunday? Yeah. There's absolutely no reason that JMU, William, Mary, Elon, and Richmond can't all gather at Bridgeforce Stadium and they just play each other one day. Boom, 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 boom. You play three or four games in one day. Your body's not going to feel it, right, because the games are still going on. So this isn't like, a why serious can- take. Why can JMU not complete its entire spring season in, a, in like, a nine-hour day? That's my take. Uh, that was a terrible take. Um, <laughs> and with that, we hope you guys enjoyed the podcast for today, the JMU Sports News Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you are listening right now. Give us five stars if we are so deserving, and we believe we are. Go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at JMU Sports News. We are on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash JMU Sports News. Find us at our home on the web, JMUSportsNews.com. If you have any ideas for a new uh, name, please, please let us know. We got Duke Dog Alley. Uh, That one is in the hat. We will eventually pull when we have more name suggestions. And uh, we're just going to close our eyes and pull out of a hat and and see and, and just go from there. Um, But thank you again to Kamaya Smalls for coming on this podcast and talking with us for about 30 minutes. That was a fantastic time. Um, And I think that's all I have to say. Bennett, anything else you need to add? No, that's, that's it. We're coming into what I hope is a very exciting time where we'll have spring sports, football, and both basketball simultaneous at the end of February. So fingers crossed that they can actually do that COVID-wise. But gearing up to be a, a fun, exciting month or two. Yeah, throwback to when there was no sports, and now every single sport, sport might play on one day. Uh, I think we'll be having probably a, a, a football preview podcast coming up soon because for I sure. did not realize that – Football season is three weeks away. So mark your calendars for that whenever that drops. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day, whatever day it is you're listening to this. For Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.